Hello and welcome officially to season two of Vino and Vagina's The Podcast. Just a brief note before introductions today. Today's podcast was actually recorded and released last year, but due to some technical difficulties, sadly not many people were able to listen, and then some major life disruptions which held up its re-release, and that's why you guys are only hearing this today for the first time, or maybe some of you for the second time, but I think the majority of you only for the first time. So I do apologize for the delay, but do not worry. We are going to ward off any more technical difficulties going forward, so you will not have to be without some of the best experts in the field of women's health. On to introductions. On today's episode, I am super excited to introduce you to Alyssa Byers Heinlein, a midwife who works here in Kingston at the Community Midwives of Kingston. Alyssa was born and raised in the East Coast, Fredericton, New Brunswick to be exact. But due to a lack of government support for midwives in New Brunswick, she came to Ontario to begin her studies and career as a midwife. I learned so much on today's podcast and really enjoyed listening to Alyssa, and I know you will too. It is so obvious how much she cares for her clients. In fact, that was really evident to me when I saw her bio in the Community Midwives of Kingston website, where she said that she will always strive to emulate the words of the 5th century philosopher Lao Tzu. You are a midwife. You are assisting at someone else's birth. Do good without show or fuss. Facilitate what is happening, not what you think is happening. If you must take the lead, lead so that the mother is helped, yet still free and in charge. When the baby is born, the mother will rightly say, we did it ourselves. Welcome, Alyssa. Welcome to Vino and Vaginas, the podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Dion, and I'm here to bring you interviews from the absolute best and brightest in their field, all about issues related to being a woman, from health and fitness to sex and dating and everything in between. My mission at Vino and Vaginas is to explore these topics, health, sexuality, and everything related to being a woman in a fun and safe environment free of shame, embarrassment, or stigma. It's going to be an amazing time. Now, let's get to it. So first off, thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming on the show. We're so, so excited to have you. And I know so many of my listeners have been eagerly awaiting to hear what you have to say. So thank you for coming on. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, As I mentioned in the intro, Alyssa is a midwife here in Kingston, and today we're going to talk about all about what midwifery is and answer some of those burning questions that people might have. So Alyssa, I want to start off with the super basics. Can you just tell us a bit about what midwifery is? I would love to, yeah. So midwives are specialists um, and experts in low-risk pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum period. So we provide 24-7 care to our clients. And from the time they're pregnant, so from the very, very beginning of pregnancy, through the whole pregnancy, we're there. At- and then we provide six weeks at um, both at home and in the hospital and the clinic. We're all sorts of different places. Uh, and we do all of the things that you would need in pregnancy. So we can order blood work and we actually do it at our clinic. We can order ultrasounds. We can prescribe certain medications. 
Um, so we're, we're all encompassing and we're of course funded by the government. So a woman doesn't have to pay to have midwifery care. Um, and that's our job. That's our, that's, that's our MO. That's amazing. And can you tell us a bit about what the main difference is with working with a midwife versus working maybe with a physician trained in obstetrics or an OBGYN? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a question we get a lot. Like, why should I go with midwives? So I'll start by saying that, um, my obstetrical colleagues are all wonderful. So all both family doctors or, um, and obstetricians and midwives all provide excellent, uh, client. Um, may or may not uh, do obstetrics. So you might have a family doctor and you really like them, but but uh, the numbers are decreasing all the time. So many people will have to then go to an obstetrician at, at 28 weeks. Um, so one of the main differences is we're actually funded for appointments. So um, I don't know if you know people sometimes find that it's a bit rushed because there's a million people that their physician has to see and that's just the way they're funded. And they would love to spend a lot of time with their clients but, and patients, but they just can't. So our appointments, depending on what appointment it is so we have a lot more time to talk about every um okay so you cut yeah. up for, you cut out for one second so what mm-hmm. were it you said about your appointments are oh our appointments generally are half an hour to an hour long so okay that's, that's what saying. we missed okay yeah, yeah exactly so a so lot longer a lot longer so we just have a lot more time to talk about things to really like talk about different subjects and and what um, you know, women have concerns about and, and kind of, we bring up different things related to the pregnancy. So that's one of the main differences. Okay. Uh, second main difference is, um, the midwives that you meet, um, most of the time are actually the midwives at your birth. So that's not always true with obstetrics because you, you know, your obstetrician, they're great. And they may or may not be on call the day that you deliver. So mm-hmm. it might be someone else. Now, family physicians tend to have, they tend to be there more often because they're on call that way. But Um, And then another main difference is um, obstetricians are great, but once you have a baby, that's not their job anymore. They're they're not specialists in babies. So they say, it's really nice to see you, see you at your next pregnancy if you have one. Um, But we see women until they're six weeks postpartum. So we do the whole thing. And then a huge difference is the home care. So um, women can choose to have a midwife and give birth at home or in the hospital. No problem. I think we'll talk about that a bit later. You can have an epidural and a midwife. No problem. You can have an unmedicated birth and a midwife. No problem. Um, But uh, things that we do that other healthcare providers don't is you can labor at home and then give birth in the hospital and midwives can be there for that. Um, you, no one else does home births. So that's your only option is with us. And we actually come to your house for the first week in the postpartum. So that's, mm. that's definitely different than most. So you don't have to go anywhere when you're learning how to breastfeed and be a mom and, um, and parents and, and, um, or have three other little kids at home. So that would be another, another big difference. So I think that's, those are the main ones. You know, there's a few other things, but. Sounds like you guys take a really holistic approach or a whole person approach, if you will, to pregnancy and delivery. And then you really have the time to build that relationship with your clients and patients. That's the goal. Our goal is really to have a non-hierarchical model of care where, uh, so we call our, um, we call people clients, not patients. because I was going to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the goal hopefully is that um, you know, we're, we're here to provide what we call informed choice. So basically, um, with all decisions, I'm here to give you the information, the risks, the benefits, the community standards, the guidelines, um, the different alternative options, if we certainly have any recommendations. But um, the point is, it's, it's not my pregnancy, it's, it's someone else's. And for the most part, we're really caring for 
um, low risk women. So birth is a normal physiological process and there's not one decision that's right for everyone. Um, and I cannot begin to think that I know people's, you know, complete pasts and backgrounds and, and what works for them. So that's the goal anyway of, um, of our care, but yeah. That's awesome. And just so our listeners know what, like the difference between patients and clients is, is it to you that clients, they are more involved in the process, like you were just mentioning, and they're an active part of what their choices are. And yeah, so, so certainly I would say that like, even, you know, obstetricians or um, family physicians would call themselves, you know, they do patient centered care, which is everyone's trying to put the, the person at the center of it. But um, when midwifery was founded, and it's a really through kind of a feminist lens, uh, it, it wasn't quite that, that wasn't the model of care. And it really was that, okay, well, I'm the expert, I'm going to give you the information, and you're going to, you know, have what we call informed consent. So agree to it. And definitely things have changed a lot um, with all types of healthcare. But, but the whole point of midwifery when it was created was like, that, no, it's, it's not, it's not that there's a doctor patient relationship that's very hierarchical. It's that a client is definitely more involved. Um, it's a word that's trying not to put power and less power into one of them. And even when we um, talk about um, babies that are born, we don't say, oh, I delivered a baby. I say, oh, I caught the baby because the woman delivers the baby. So we're trying to like put all of the, even in the vocabulary, um, yeah. the power with the woman and really making women empowered in that process. I love that because language really does matter and we see it all the time and little things like that make a difference. Absolutely. Cause that mom worked her butt off to yeah. deliver. Yeah. Right? I mean, with your help, of course, but she's the one that pushed. Her. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I feel like I could have just not been there and it all would have been like, <laughs> would have gone the same way, but yeah, no, it's, it's certainly, I I'm there, but women, they put on a lot of work. So when you mentioned kind of the roots of midwifery, when, when does, when was it created? Like, when did this start? So midwives, so the, the word midwife actually just means with woman in, in Old English. So that's what it means. So when people say, can a man be a midwife? I'm like, yes, they can. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, midwife has been around for thousands and thousands of years. So, so this whole women helping women with pregnancy, that, that was the model. And it really wasn't until, you know, um, 1900s 1800s that that it really became like a men's hospital controlling process so so for in Canada there were midwives and then what happened was there was this big switch towards um women giving birth in hospitals and and mm -hmm. if you know anything kind of about the history of childbirth there was a time where they just put women kind of under and it was this really crazy process um and then what happened was in Canada there was a response to that so there were these midwives who weren't um like there was no midwifery program in Canada and they didn't have any regulation to them. So there were women who got, got trained in different areas um, and they were kind of practicing illegally. So it wasn't illegal, but it wasn't legal. Um, and then they kind of reached ahead where the government basically said like, we need to regulate this. We need this to be like a formal thing. So um, yeah. that was, oh my gosh, I think it was 1991 that the regular, I'm gonna- Wow, I'm my day right um but yeah and then it really became a formalized process you need to be certified there's you know there's a regulating body there's a college of midwives um but midwifery still isn't present in every province because it's provincially regulated so um but in ontario specifically is what i'm talking about in 1991 so yeah wow so not every province has midwives no, or registered wow yep yeah, it doesn't have any. And even places like New Brunswick have four for the whole province. Nova Scotia doesn't have that many. Um, so it's really the leaders are Ontario and BC and Alberta is getting pretty good too. But 
Um, That's amazing. I didn't know that actually. And I know just from working, I work with a ton of women who are pregnant or who have had babies. And I know you guys are constantly running at like a wait list, it sounds like. So I can only imagine these provinces who have four. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and you know, even with the training programs, they're not everywhere. Uh, I grew up in the Maritimes. There's not any training programs in the Maritimes um, or Atlantic Canada. So yeah. And they're just starting out. So New Brunswick has only been on there for kind of four or five years. Um, Newfoundland just has one program that just started a few years ago. So it's, and hopefully PEI will be soon, but it's, yeah. So we're pretty lucky in Ontario that it's, it's well integrated and it's been here for a long time. So that's amazing. And it's kind of cool that you will see it grow. Like I have no doubt we're going to see those programs start to pop up and, and grow because the need is there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the schooling then, can you tell us what the schooling is like for midwifery? Definitely. Yeah. So um, unlike in some parts of the world where midwifery is a specialty of nursing, midwifery, you just go into midwifery school. It's its own four-year university degree program. So just like uh, medicine, it's an undergraduate program, although many, many women have uh, other degrees coming into it. Um, so it's four years, and then we do kind of what we call a new registrant year. So it's kind of equivalent sort of to a residency year. Um, now, there are some people who are trained abroad, and they have to come back and do like at least an 18-month program because midwifery in Canada is is quite different sometimes than other places where women have been trained um so it's pretty intense it's it's uh you do a lot of births by the time I can imagine it so it's it's a year and a half of kind of school school and then you do a lot of placements so your last year is a full uh, year of working in a midwifery practice under supervisors under preceptors that's amazing and is there kind of like a formal board exam or yeah. there is okay there is. oh yeah so so not only do you have to like pass all your courses and your preceptors basically have to say you're competent to be a midwife while you're doing courses and doing exams there's a um like a national exam you have to write mm-hmm. and everybody in Canada writes the same exam so that you know that that the credentialing is is good and then to become a midwife you have to meet all of these standards you have uh, continuing education requirements um that you have to do you have to maintain certification and a whole bunch of things um, but it's, you know, there's, the program's pretty small. So there's actually only two programs in Ontario right now, because Laurentian, they just announced was uh, shutting down, which hopefully will oh, not no. happen. It's the only bilingual program in um, Ontario. So hopefully now, that will be reversed, but. Was that a COVID related thing? I'm not sure or? Just, just got announced. So this is all very new. So I don't know the details, but the other programs only accept 30 students a year. So it's, it's um, wow. quite competitive to get into, but. So in Ontario, there's, so where's the other university? So there's McMaster. So I went to McMaster in Hamilton okay. and there's Ryerson and it's cool. It's, it's a four-year full-time, but Ryerson has the part-time program. So there's often nice. women who have kids or who have you know, their lives are, are, you know, not that they can dedicate four full years. Um, so it can go up to seven years doing, doing it part-time. Um, amazing because I think a lot of us don't find our passion for this type of work necessarily right at the get-go, right? When we're young or in our teens or early twenties. And so to have that opportunity, if you have a family and still need to, you know, work. There's so many women who go into it a bit later in life who are in the program with kids. A third of our class had kids when we were in there. And a lot of people, where uh, some people were registered massage therapists before they went to it. There was um, a physician from another country. She was a physician in Russia and then she came into it. Um, there was, you know, there was all sorts of people with master's degrees. Some people, there was a couple people right out of high school. So it was really a huge diversity of kind of people's. And, you know, some people like I did a degree in, um, 
in molecular genetics, but there was someone else who did a degree in Latin poetry who's there. So it was just like a really, cause there really is kind of a science and an arts aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's one program in BC, one in um, Quebec, one in Alberta um, and none, none in Atlantic Canada. So. Wow. Okay. Well, like we said, I'm sure, or I hope we start to see that change a little bit. I hope so too. Yeah. Wow. Great if Queens could get one. That's it really would. <laughs> University. Here's my pitch from the free school. Okay, we'll work on this. <laughs> Between the two of us, we can make yeah, this happen, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so this might be a bit of a broad kind of overarching question, but do you have a philosophy regarding pregnancy and birth and what your role is in that? Yeah, so as I was kind of alluding to a bit earlier, um, I really try and make the woman the primary decision maker. So that's not to say that I don't give my clinical opinion or, you know, sometimes I'm like, look, based on these different factors, this is my recommendation in this situation. But I really do think that birth is a normal and labor and all of it's a normal physiological process. And as long as everything is healthy with the mom and the baby, like, I don't know what's best for them. Um, I've learned over having been to hundreds of birth, you really can't control a labor. Like you just, just <laughs> going to go the way it's going to go. And um, usually the, the woman will let you know what she needs and what she wants, right? And I've had so many different experiences and women need so many different things. And it's so cool just to see like, you have one woman who makes zero sounds in labor and you could never know. And one woman that you're like, are you okay? And she's yelling everywhere. And she's like, oh, I'm fine. Like, this is just how I'm coping. And you're like, great. Um, and and that's that's what I've really kind of tried to come with and, and yeah, so I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of what we try and do as our philosophy as much as much as we can, um, which is fun, which is really fun is getting to know our clients. And that's my favorite part of my job. People say, oh, do you really like babies? I'm like, no, I really like pregnant women. <laughs> like, yes. I love, I love that. You know, and, you know, there's some women that I'm with them for their fifth pregnancy right now, you know, like I've been all of them. I know their family. I know their kids. I know their history. And that's one of the really cool things is we really mm -hmm. try and, and it doesn't always work, but as much as we can, if you've had a midwife before, we try and put you with the same team of midwives so that they know, they know you and you know yeah. them. And you've already built that relationship of trust. And, you know, I get to see, of course, COVID ruins this, but before mm -hmm. COVID, a lot of the time they bring in their their other kid and you last time you saw them they were like six weeks old and then they're you know helping you with the appointment and pushing the buttons and you just get to see families grow and I just mm -hmm. love that I love that so much when I when I've been midwives for I totally get that I mean working in public or physio it's not the same but I I do get to see women through multiple pregnancies as well and so <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah, I love it. Like it's, it's killing me a little bit that I can't like normally when mom's changing, I like take the baby and we go play, yeah. but obviously can't do that right now. But um, it's just, yeah, I love it. I love seeing the growth. I love seeing kind of it's the same thing. It's, it's just that relationship you have with people and you know their life and you know what's been happening. And it's so exciting every time something new happens. So that's I love that. Now you mentioned your practice at Community Midwives of Kingston. So can you just tell us a little bit about how the practice works? I know you mentioned that you like to put people with the same team of midwives. So does that mean they have a team? Very good question. Yeah. So it's always a little bit different. We're always changing a little bit, but um, for in general, um, because midwives are on call for their clients 24 seven. So basically like if you have an urgent concern, you page and you get your midwife, like you get the, the midwives that you've been working with. It's not just you go to the hospital and whoever's there. 
Um, so because of that, we can't be on call all of the time. Otherwise we would have no life already. It's crazy. Um, so we work in teams of two or three for the most part. Um, and, uh, so you would meet both midwives for the whole pregnancy or all three midwives, depending on who your team is. And the goal is that you get to know all of them and that they know you. And so when you call it and you're like, I'm in labor there, you're like, cool. I don't care who's there. Like you don't care which <laughs> midwife is there. And then, and it would be one of those midwives at the birth. And then one of those midwives, um, or combination that come to your house afterwards. Okay. So, yeah. So there's actually, I think 16 midwives now, there's only one practice in Kingston. So so Community Midwives of Kingston, we're, we're here. Um, and yeah, and uh, when you come back into care, sometimes the teams do change, but we really try and put uh, the client at least with one of the midwives that they had. Um, again, sometimes it doesn't work mm -hmm. out, but for the most part, we're pretty good. We're pretty good about doing that. And, you know, it's, we do have wait lists, but we do actually prioritize people who have had um, our care with us before, just mm -hmm. because we already do have that relationship. We've already had midwifery care, so... Um, usually we're able to get people in for the most that's, part. That's yeah. amazing. And so for visits kind of during pregnancy, mm -hmm. I assume they don't see all two or three of you at once. Cause that's really hard. <laughs> so I assume so, you kind of alternate who they see. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So um, yeah, the way that the visits works, our first visits just because of COVID is usually on the phone, just the first one. Um, sometimes one more during the pregnancy as well. But in general, we see clients kind of every four to six weeks until they're uh, 28 weeks. And we see them every three weeks till they're about term. And then we see them every week until their baby's born. Now, sometimes we need to see women more often. Um, and that's then we see them more often. It just totally depends on lots of situations. And of course, because um, you know, they have access, women can always call or email if they have questions between their visits. If they have an urgent concern, they know they can page us and get us. Um, so it tends to work pretty well. And, and that seems to be a good schedule for people. That's amazing. I feel like you're, you must be, I know you're not on call all the time, but I feel like pretty well close to it. <laughs> but that's it's amazing a, for your, for your it's clients. It's literally 50% of my life. So yeah, obviously you love what you do. <laughs> Uh, okay. So then how does someone, I know you mentioned there sometimes is a wait list. How would sometimes someone obtain your services? Do they just call the office and kind of ask? Uh, so, so one good thing to know is that you don't need to be referred from your family doctor. So you don't, you actually don't need to go see your family doctor at all because we can do all of the tests that they would do. So we usually don't see, we usually see people for the first visit around like we usually talk to them around eight to 10 weeks, but you actually don't need to see anyone before that um, unless there was a different concern that was going on. Um, so what happens is you can go to our website. So you type in Community Midwives of Kingston and there's a little button and you fill out an intake form. So it just basically says, when are you due? Um, is there anything we should know about you? Um, the other thing I'll just mention, which is really important is we're actually funded to provide care. It's not true with family doctors and obstetricians. Sorry, you just cut um, out a little bit. You're not funded or you are funded to provide, are care. Funded to provide care for women who do not, do not have OHIP. So, oh, okay. so the government gives us a special grant. So uh, that is not true with family doctors and obstetricians. So um, we also, so I just want to mention that if there is someone listening who doesn't have OHIP and um, needs care, like care. we're, we're ready for that because it's, it's free, which is nice as That's it should really... be, as it should be. All women yeah. should get prenatal care. Um, so anyway, you fill out the intake form and then uh, basically it, it sometimes depends on the month. So some months just are a lot busier. Like a lot of people like to print pregnancies in the summer. So those months <laughs> tend to have 
higher waiting lists. Um, we don't, we, all, we basically tell everyone they're put on a wait list because if we just took everyone into care, the first person who came in, everyone would be due at the beginning of the month. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I recommend that if you're thinking you want midwifery care, like as soon as you pee on a stick, put your name okay. on it. If you miscarry, okay, just call us. And then, you know, then we take you off the list. Um, so, you know, often people feel like they need to quote, confirm the pregnancy, but if, if you've peed on a stick and it's positive, then that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you've confirmed the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, yeah. so definitely as early as possible. And, it's a combination of we, we take repeats in first and then kind of first come first serve, or sometimes we do prioritize women without OHIP just because they don't have another option out there. Mm -hmm. um, um, sometimes there's kind of special cases, but then some months we have really low birth numbers, like for whatever reason in the province, November is a really low birth number month. So we often have spots in November. So it just kind of depends on what or February. So it just depends on the month and how okay. many months are repeat. So I don't know, like now everyone's going to be doing November. No, but, right. Uh, <laughs> what so, is, so and obviously I am not going to hold you to this at all, but I'm just curious, is there a month that typically every year you're like, oh my God, what is it with September or uh, with how many babies are due or, yeah. okay. So, so I'll tell you the third week of September due dates, uh, people conceive between Christmas and New Year's. So really? okay. yeah, September is usually really busy. <laughs> uh, um, and July, I don't know. I think the summer people, especially like teachers like to plan their pregnancies for the summer because then they can get more time off. Yeah. So um, it's a combination of, of kind of life and what works for people. But February is pretty low usually and November is often low. So there okay. you go. People. That's really fascinating. So if you really want midwifery and you're worried you're not going to get it, just plan for February or November. <laughs> I love that September is such a busy month. It makes sense. Like you said, Christmas, New Year's, holidays. Yeah, yeah uh, it's always really funny. because you're. Just I like, know. Oh, I have a friend who is pregnant with her second and like both are September babies. So now I can say like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So in terms of the clients that you can see, are there any factors that would essentially risk a patient out of your practice? That's, that's a really good question. And a lot of people are not sure they're like, Oh, like, I don't know if I'm low risk does, you know, like, do I qualify? So, so most things are actually surprisingly fine. There are a few things that really people aren't, aren't eligible and, and things like type one diabetes, or if you had like a really serious heart condition, things that like you think, oh, I need a, a physician, like obstetricians are specialists in high-risk pregnancies. They're trained to deal with all these complications. That's not what I'm trained for. So you really want to be under the care, you know, for a, um, of a, of a specialist in that case. So, so those would be two examples. Um, sometimes like, you know, asthma is okay, but if people had really serious chronic lung conditions, like that would be an example. Triplets, triplets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> answer. Um, but, you know, a lot of people ask this question and it kind of relates like, well, what happens if something goes wrong? What happens if something becomes complicated, which is a really fair question. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time. So sometimes what happens when people come into care is we ask them their health history and there's something that's maybe like, you know, a little bit like, oh, that's a little unusual or that that could be a little more complicated. So often what we'll do is we'll do what we call a consultation. So we just write to our colleagues in obstetrics and we say, hey, uh, do you have any recommendations for this person's pregnancy? Here's the situation. And they might see the person once and say, yeah, I would recommend doing these couple things or like do this. And why don't I see them one more time towards the end of pregnancy just to see? Um, 
So that's, or that also happens in the pregnancy, right? So someone comes in, everything is healthy, but then they get high blood pressure or they end up with diabetes at pregnancy. And that happens all the time. So um, in that case, again, we ask the opinion of an obstetrician uh, or sometimes we do kind of um, work with them. So, so we realize that their clinical care is actually more appropriate for obstetrics because um, they got diabetes in pregnancy and need to go on insulin. So that's definitely not my expertise, um, but we don't get rid of anyone. Once you're in care, you're in oh. care. So they still see us in a supportive care role. So we'll do all the, the talking and the, the prep about everything. They'd see obstetrics for their clinical care. We're still at their births. And they just come back under care after the baby's born. So we still see them in the postpartum period at home. We still help them during the labor. We still do all that stuff. So we work more, you know, in conjunction and we have such a great relationship with our colleagues um, on Connell 5, the nurses, the, the obstetricians. So it's a really good relationship and it happens all the time. We work really well together and everyone just wants to provide the best care they can for, for our, you know, clients slash patients. So I love that. I love that. It sounds like it's just a multidisciplinary team. And, and the fact that you said, like, I'm not going to get rid of people. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there who, yeah, that's their fear or, or they're worried, like I should have an uncomplicated pregnancy, but what if, or what if, right. And, yeah, exactly. And so if they know that, you know, like you, who they've been with for most of their pregnancy, all of a sudden they're going to meet someone new and not have you anymore. Cause that, that would be scary for people. Right. Yeah. And I think there's also misconceptions about people think they're high risk and we're like, oh, X fine. So for example, you might um, have had a cesarean section in your past and you're not sure whether you want a C-section or not. You can still have a midwife and have a C-section. Like, of course we don't do the C-section, mm -hmm. but that happens all the time. Or um, sometimes say you have like thyroid problems. Like maybe you're, we basically just like your family doctor does that part and we do the pregnancy part. So, um, you know, there's, there's not, it's actually just pretty, pretty serious health conditions that you're not eligible, um, like type one diabetes or, or really kind of significant um, stuff. And you probably will know yourself like, oh, I have to see a specialist all the time. And like, yeah, my family doctor told me my pregnancy would be really complicated. Probably then it's better just to be under the care of an obstetrician. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then what about um, women who are older when they're pregnant? So kind of quote unquote, that geriatric pregnancy. I hate that title so much, but <laughs> So no, you definitely still are able to have a midwife. So I have, I have lots of women who are 40 or 41. I've had a couple even older. Um, that's not a reason you can't have a midwife. There's a couple things that we do that are a bit different in pregnancy, but um, all of those things can be managed by your midwife. So there's no reason that that's, you can't. And you know, it's funny, like old used to be 30, then it was 35, now, we, now it's 40. So who knows what it's going to be in the future. I love it. Yeah, it's true. People are, you know, having babies older and older these days. They're starting their career. There's so right. There's so much to be done. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. Um, or if you've needed fertility treatment, you can still have a midwife with that. Like it's um, yeah, as I said, there's there's lots of things that are totally I think a lot of people are gonna be happy to hear that. So. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned the first visit right now, just because of COVID, it's usually on the phone. What yeah. does that look like? What kind of questions can someone expect to be asked? That's a great question. Yeah, totally. So um, as I said, we try and get the first visit done, you know, pretty early in pregnancy, usually eight to 10 weeks, but sometimes people are coming into care a bit later just because mm -hmm. someone moved away and a spot opened up and they come, you know, they've already seen their family doctor a few times. But uh, what we generally do is um, we talk about any obstetrical history. So if they've had a baby before, any miscarriages, we talk about that. How did it go? Like how long was it? All, all that type of thing. Uh, we go through a health history. So what a health history would involve would be talking 
talking about their pregnancy so far. We go through any medical conditions that they might have, any medications they're taking, allergies. We talk about their family histories because sometimes that's important for thinking about the genetics of the baby or um, risk factors for them. So if all of your family has diabetes and we know that you might be more likely and it's just something for us to know and consider. Uh, we talk about their mental health, any history of the past um, with mental health concerns or current. Uh, we talk about, um, um, you know, we screen for domestic partner violence, um, important things like that. Then what we normally do um, is we talk about midwifery care in general. So we answer any questions, how it's going to look. Um, you know, some women have had midwives three times so that we kind of skip over. We're just like, yep, you're with me this time. And you know, here's the pager number, great. Um, but first, certainly for people who's midwives for the first time, we explain the whole system, we give them all the information. And then we talk about anything that's relevant to that time. So sometimes that's talking about different tests that are coming up and whether or not they want to do it. We talk about uh, if we need to order any ultrasounds um, and why they might want to or not want to, how we answer any questions that's relevant to that timing of pregnancy. Yeah, and then we set it up. And then we usually book the next one, uh, not too, too far after where we would do uh, any blood work often in clinics. Sometimes people do it at the lab. It just depends on when they're going to be seen again. Uh, so often we do a physical exam, which is just listening to their heart, their lung, um, feeling, feeling their tummy, um, okay. and then, you know, blood pressure, that kind of thing. So yeah, okay. that's, that's and the then, general. So obviously that can be easily done on the phone and answer a lot of questions. So does that mean follow-ups though, or typically in person? Oh, okay. You're unfrozen. <laughs> so does that mean so follow-ups do they tend to be in person all of them or is it a combination of on the phone and in it's, person it, it depends it's mostly in person but sometimes depending on the situation there's an ultrasound that happens around 18 to 20 weeks so for some women um because that's like a pretty thorough check-in with the baby like yep here's an ultrasound that'll just be a phone call just to check in see if they have any questions go through that ultrasound so that would be the rest of them would be in person though after that Sure. Is there a vaginal, everybody always asks me this, is there a vaginal with every visit or just kind of as needed? So that's a great question. And a lot of people um, are worried about that or have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. So typically we don't do any vaginal exams until the end of pregnancy. And that's only with a discussion with the woman about why would we do it? Here's why, here's what we would know. Here's what we wouldn't know. Uh, here are the pros and the cons. Lots of women have no vaginal exams at all until they have their baby. And that's mm -hmm. totally fine. I don't really care what your cervix is doing um, unless we're talking about trying to get labor going. Um, and, you know, some women are want to know what their cervix is doing and they're like, you know, let's, let's do it. And someone were like, you know what, I would prefer you that keep your hands out of my until, uh, <laughs> and, and that's totally fair. So we do sometimes do a pap exam if a woman needs it at the, one of the first visits, um, but that's only if they're due and we talk about whether they'd rather do it in pregnancy or postpartum. Um, but other than that, yeah, we, we, yeah, certainly there's no reason to do a vaginal exam at most visits. I feel like a lot of people are going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> and, then, and then in terms of the births themselves, what types of births do you assist with? So I know you mentioned home births earlier, hospital births, kind of the whole gamut. The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so just, just to give an example. So um, certainly uh, we women sometimes choose to give birth at homes. The majority of our women, the vast majority do choose to give birth at the hospital. And I think a lot of people have a misconception that they have to want a home birth or they have to want an unmedicated birth to have a midwife, but that's not true at all. It's you, 
people. So um, certainly we do that. Um, people often ask about water births um, and are the only, there's another difference. So, so while you can choose to labor in the water, whether you have an obstetrician or a family doctor, we are the only people who do water births and awesome. Walmart hospital, there's two great hospitals. We lend out free um, water birth like pools at the clinic. Um, you can have a, what we call a TOLAC. So a trial of labor after a cesarean section. So basically women who've had cesareans, you don't need to go to an obstetrician at all, unless there's something um, unusual about your situation and you can just come into midwifery care and decide that's what you want to do. Um, and we care for you for that, no problem. Uh, now the types of births that we don't do, so if, if during the labor you would need a forceps or a vacuum delivery, so those are, mm -hmm. those are different instruments that um, sometimes are needed to help the baby come out, we would ask our obstetrical colleagues to come in and uh, make that decision and help with that. And then of course, we're not surgeons, so we don't do cesarean sections. So if you choose a cesarean section, because you've had one before, we're still at the birth and we're right there with you, but the actual surgical component at least in Kingston is done by obstetricians. In some communities, a midwife is helping the obstetrician do the, do the. Oh, wow. Sections. Yeah. But we have residents and lots and lots of people in Kingston. So okay. we, we stay, you know, with the baby up at the head of the bed. That, that makes sense. But cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. I think it's awesome. And so obviously you're saying you guys are the only ones to do the home birth, which I think is really cool because some women just really want to, for whatever reason, give birth at home. And I think that's having that option is incredible. Now, is there any kind of assessment that you do with a client to determine whether it's safe for them to have a home birth or? Yeah, so I think, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about home births. I think people think like, oh, it's really dangerous or like, oh, or like people come into care with like lots of different ideas. And I always tell people when they come in, they're like, I want a home or hospital. I said, okay, you know what? People change their mind all the time. People who are dead set on a hospital birth end up with a home birth. People who really want a home birth decide to have a hospital birth. So really keeping an open mind. So um, certainly home birth is really reserved for low risk women. So it's not appropriate to have a home birth if you have high blood pressure, if we're worried about the baby, um, if something like in your past, like you've had a, a ton of bleeding with your first baby and you needed, you know, lots of medications to control the bleeding. Um, then it's really, you're not, you're not really appropriate because the reason home births are safe and I will just, um, you know, like put this out there. There's really, really good research out there. It's out of Ontario with 100,000 women, like tons and tons of women that home births are just as safe as hospital births for low risk women who have midwives who want to give birth at home. So it's not that things can't happen at home. It's just that you're with really well-trained midwives that we're going in if anything, and we can talk about that looks like it's not perfect, um, but there would be no difference in the outcome if you were at home or you were at the hospital for moms or for babies. And interestingly, if you've had a baby before, uh, they actually have better outcomes. So there actually is fewer interventions uh, for the same women who uh, would choose to give birth at home versus the hospital. Um, so yeah, so certainly there's, there's things before pregnancy that are during pregnancy before the birth we look at, and then there would be situations um, that with, with labor that we would say, okay, because this happened, we're really, we really need to be at the hospital. This isn't really appropriate mm -hmm. anymore to stay at home. Cause trust me, your midwife does not want an emergency at home. They don't, they don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally no emergency anywhere, but if you are going to have one, let's be prepared with all of the things and resources. And you know what? We, we, we bring, people are shocked about how much stuff we bring to home births. We bring so much equipment, like so like a duffel bag full of 
stuff for the baby and medications for mom and all the stuff. So we're not just coming in with like boil the water and get the <laughs> Um, We really have a whole area that we set up that has all of the stuff for resuscitation and all that. So people, mm-hmm. people are shocked. And, and in our clinic, what we offer is something called a home birth information night. So once Ooh. a month, the midwife on Zoom will kind of go through all the statistics, why women might choose a home birth, what would be the risks, like what... Um, would make us go in and really give a thorough discussion on all of it, which I think everyone should attend because how can you have an informed mm-hmm. choice about hospital birth versus home birth if you don't know anything about home birth or you have a lot of misconceptions? So I always say go and then just choose wherever you feel most comfortable because I don't care. I'm happy women give birth wherever they want. Yeah, um, that's amazing. And I think it's like, I mean, I think you could talk about or we could talk about home births for an hour alone, absolutely. right? There's so much you can discuss. So I love that you guys have that information. And then it's coming out monthly for, you know, new clients coming on to the, the oh, practice or into the practice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so real quick, then, because I know we could yeah. talk about this forever. But my one question is, well, I guess I have kind of two. Should how do clients prepare for a home birth? Is there anything they have to do? And you mentioned that you bring meds with you. So is there things you can do to help manage their pain at home as well? Both good questions. So in terms of preparation, go to home birth information night. Yes. <laughs> um, we really bring almost all the supplies with us. So we actually like have both all of the like equipment, equipment, and then we bring like a whole like bin that can be that's I pack friendly, so infection control that we can wipe down that has like pads and peri bottle and like all the different things. So um, really we do give women a list kind of beforehand of some things that they, they should have. So things like baby blankets and a set of sheets that they don't really care about because birth can be a bit messy um, and having things all together. And we do talk about um, like the, the type of area we would need just to set up our equipment. So, um, so there are some things that we say, okay, prepare the house in this way. In the winter, we certainly say, please make sure the walk shoveled and that (laughs) your, your dress is visible and and all that type of stuff. So um, that's one thing. And then I, I forgot the second question. What was the second question? How can, oh, like, I know a lot of, yeah, a lot of women are worried that yeah. if it's a home birth, it has to be entirely natural. So that's a really good question. So I will say that the, the most common reason that people transfer in from home to the hospital is actually pain relief. So okay. most of the time it's not by ambulance, it's by car, it's because of pain relief. It's not because there's an emergency. It's so that's, that's good to know that that's actually the most common thing. So, mm-hmm. um, First of all, women often feel very comfortable in their home. So that's already gonna help with pain, um, that people aren't feeling anxious, they feel good. Often they'll like have things that make them feel comfortable, like their own bed or just, you know, their own stuff around, uh, music, whatever. Uh, so certain things like the shower can be really, really, really helpful in labor. Um, the bath, so either the bath that they have, or as I mentioned, they can certainly uh, borrow um, birth tubs from us. So, um, and not necessarily to give birth in, but to labor in can be super mm-hmm. helpful. Other things include a TENS machine. So a TENS machine is this little device that that women put on their back that sends a little electrical signals during um, labor that can help kind of make the contractions a little bit less intense. Uh, A really awesome support person. That is like one of the best things you can do. And often at home births, so right now at the hospital, of course, you can only have one person there. Often at home births, it's a little, little easier to get someone else in as long as everyone's masked and, and safe. Uh, so I would say that's the best thing you can have as a support person mm-hmm. who's giving you an awesome, you know, massage during it or helping you breathe or, or all that. Some people choose to do hypnobirthing. So that's whole world that we won't get into, but um, there's like lots of online courses and, and they have a CD going and they really, that really helps them just focus and control their breathing. Um, 
So those are the main ones. So we don't, we don't bring nitrous oxide to the home. That's one thing people often ask. So laughing gas, not, not in Kingston. So that's only available at the hospital, but I do find people get in their groove at home and then they're just kind of like, cool. It makes sense. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. And they, like you said, there's just, it's more familiar to them and, and they can, yeah. well, feel more at home because quite literally they are yeah. there, right? So, so I like to equate it as, so birth is all about hormones, right? That's how birth works. It's just hormones. It's hormones that are working properly. And anything that's going to make your hormones not work as well, birth isn't going to go as well. So what makes hormones not work as well? Fear, um, being really uncomfortable, um, and anxiety. And for some people, that's the hospital for them is they don't like the hospital. Mm -hmm. It makes them anxious. It makes them feel not good. And for those women, birth is probably going to be much better at home. For some women, they're not comfortable in their home environment. And the hospital actually makes them feel a lot more comfortable. And for those women, probably the hospital is going to be a lot better for them. Um, So... And the other thing there's, there's one of the, one of the midwives discussions is always, this is a funny one. They say, you know, similar hormones. So it's like having an orgasm. So if you think you can have an orgasm at the hospital, then great. Cause it's oxytocin and a whole bunch of, so I don't know how true that is. I mean, it definitely has similar hormones, but I always think that's a really funny. Um, I love that comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, take, that, take for that what you want. I think it's I not quite it. as simple as that, but. <laughs> okay this all like it makes a lot of sense and, I, and you're saying a lot of things that make me realize how important probably having a bit of a plan is but not necessarily sticking to it or being so you know stuck in it following that plan to a T and is that something you talk and counsel your clients with like let's make a plan but if something doesn't go according to it that's cool we pivot Absolutely. yeah so so I like to talk my, my big thing is talking about birth ideals that's what I always tell people they say do, do you want my birth plan I say let's talk birth ideals <laughs> Because, you know, with labor, anything can happen. Like, it's just, I've seen it in every direction. People who really, really, really want an epidural get to the hospital and they just drop their baby 10 minutes later. So they just don't mm-hmm. have time for it. People who really were hoping for a home birth end up with a hospital birth um, with pain medication, maybe, or maybe a cesarean section. And I think one of the hardest things for people in the postpartum is if they've had their mind so focused on one plan and that doesn't go well for them for whatever reason. So I think that's a really hard thing for women, but if women or, you know, clients can be a lot more um, just like, this is what I would love. Plan A is this. And if, if mm-hmm. this goes that way, that's awesome. Um, but open to whatever happens because you can't control the process. We just mm-hmm. don't know. Um, and I think women who are really kind of open to like, okay, I would love it if I had this kind of birth in this location, but whatever happens, happens. I do find that the recovery is a lot easier because they've really just allowed whatever to happen. And then it's a little bit less um, focused. So that's what I always tell people. It's like, it's great to talk about birth ideals because then we know where we're starting from and where we want to be. And, um, you know, if if I know you want an epidural, I will get it for you the second that we get to the hospital and we can, if I know you want an unmaked birth, I will try a whole bunch of other things first to see if, you know, that works. So it is really important to talk about it. And it's a really good framework to, to think about all of these things. So if you come up, see like a birth plan online or something, it's, it's a good way to talk about it all and to start thinking it through, but to just be open to whatever. That's, that's yeah. always my suggestion. I think that's good. I love, I love the ideals versus the plan because it's true. We just need to know what we want, but like I said, be okay with pivoting if you need. Exactly. Um, okay. So how does this a client or a woman know that she needs to oh it's time to call you need to come to my house because I'm about to have a baby or I need to meet you at the hospital good question so we give it we give a when to page sheet (laughs) which basically lays it out like call when this happens (laughs) but um every client is different and because some people 
have super, 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 super fast births. And some people, um, it's their first time we really try and say like, okay, like here's the general, I don't say rule, like here's the general guideline, but for you, you actually should call us at this time. So we really try and individualize it for each person. And often people will page us and we'll have a conversation and, you know, I'll talk with them through it. I'll say, you know what, like, I think you're not quite there yet. Um, if you're doing well and you're feeling okay, like I would actually probably wait till this time because nobody wants to like have to go and come back and go and come back. But we do often assess women at home, even if they're planning a hospital birth, especially if it's their first baby so that they don't have to come in and out. We come in, we say, yep, you're um, this many centimeters. Do you want to stay at home for a while? We can hang out and, and go in or like, yep, we're good to go to the hospital. Let's go now if you want to, or you know what, you're not quite active yet. So um, we can certainly go for morphine, but, um, you know, ultimately we wouldn't admit you yet. We, we need to wait a little bit longer. So. Oh, that's so nice. That's nice that you go to the house for that. Well, especially because partners can't come in now until, uh, they're active. That's the other things. Okay. I was actually in labor, no partners. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to ask that with COVID. So I know the masks are now mandatory for home births or hospital births. And the other one is partners can't come until active labor. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, so they can stay kind of outside in the hall. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things. So there's getting a COVID swab when you're in labor at the hospital. So that's fun. fun. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you know, you're like dealing with a lot right now. You won't know. Yeah. Um, then there's, yeah. So partners are support people, whoever, whoever that, that person chooses to have with them. Um, yeah. Until the woman. Second. So until the woman is actively in labor or are admitted for a different reason. Okay. So, admitted, so okay. if they're getting induced, so if there's, like, there's other reasons, but yeah. yeah, basically they have to be admitted to the hospital. Okay. Um, and then the masks and labor people are really worried about that. So basically it's, um, we ask that people wear it until they can't tolerate it anymore. So um, unmedicated and, and like puffing and puffing and they're eight centimeters, then, then sometimes um, women will take it off. So it's not like- um, Hard and fast rule. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we ask, please keep it on as long as you can. So everyone can stay safe. Certainly support people need to wear it the whole time. Um, and same with home, but, um, and once women have their baby, you know, after a few minutes and they just put it back. That on. makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Neat. And then what happens if one of your clients is like past their due date? Post dates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as I feel like I'm a broken record, so it's like so dependent on the person. Okay, that's fair. So, um, yeah, so there's lots of different options out there. So, um, certainly depending on, you know, like for how, for with nothing else complicating going around, most women, um, we talk about this kind of after 41 weeks, there's lots of situations that past the due date is more like 40 weeks or 39 weeks, but, but assuming everything is kind of typical, um, we talk about everything from, you know, doing a vaginal exam to try and get things going. It's called the stretch and sweep. Um, we talk about uh, different uh, research that's been with castor oil. So people are always like, it looks like I'm like, I feel like I'm a midwifery cocktail here. Um, so it's like a thinking at the pharmacy. So we talk to women about that. There's like this whole awesome recipe that's been well researched that has like like mango nectar and almond butter and castor oil and like sparkling water. So we, we review the research on that and like some women choose to take that. Um, then sometimes there's kind of a conversation about, okay, do we get labor going um, when, you know, a combination of the risks outweighing the benefits of, of continuing it versus kind of what women, their ideal is in terms of, do they just want the baby out as soon as possible? Are they hoping to go into labor spontaneously? Like depending on what their situation is. 
Um, and certainly part of that is, is done at the clinic, we can do some stuff. Um, sometimes it is true that, that women need a hormone to cause contractions. And if that happens, um, we do need to ask our obstetrical colleagues to um, run that. But again, you don't lose your midwife, you just gain a nurse and an and a OB and then just come back under our care afterwards. So there are that. situations that women also have lots of people at their birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> with, you know, and all that. So, but we talked pretty thoroughly about all that before. I know we've already mentioned and talked about this, but I think the biggest thing that I'm getting out of this interview, and I hope clients do too, is yeah, like you can have a midwife even if you have to transfer care to mm-hmm. obstetrics. And I think that's what so many people didn't realize and, and were afraid of. So I love that. And I would be heartbroken if all these clients I've gotten to know over nine months where I'm like, bye, see you never. Like, no, that's. Yeah. And the postpartum, right? We still like, we're still there helping with breastfeeding and doing all that kind of stuff. And so what does that look like? So what does the postpartum care look like? Are you like, how long do you stay with the client when she has the baby? Good question. So, um, so basically, uh, so if that's a home and everything is good, then we usually stay kind of three to four hours somewhere in there. Um, yeah, just to make sure that everything is, is, happy and baby's good and mom's good and that's all good. Uh, If it's at the hospital, so lots of women will have their baby and then they go home after three to four hours because they have midwives so they can call us, no problem. This is of course, assuming everything is good with mom and baby. And we usually encourage it. We're like, listen, go sleep in your own bed. You can, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna come see you first thing in the morning. Like you can always call me if there's something, but you know, there's lots of noise at the hospital, other babies crying, lots of things going on. Um, So women have that option with midwives, which is great. Um, or sometimes they end up staying at the hospital for lots of different reasons, kind of 12 to 24 hours, but we will come, uh, everyday woman's at the hospital, uh, and within the first 24 hours at home, usually around 24 hours, we can do all of the same tests they do at the hospital at home. So it doesn't matter. Like if people leave, it's not like they're not getting a certain test or care or something. It's all, it's all the same. Um, so we usually come in again, depends on the woman, depends on the situation, depends on the baby. Um, but at minimum, we usually visit people three or four times at home. Sometimes babies are just being stubborn and need like their, their jaundice levels checked every day for four days. And then we're going every day. Um, and yes, we do drive really far. So people are like, well, I live in Gann. I'm like, yep. I'll be there. Like I live in Athens. I'm like, yep. Yep. For me, but I'll, I'll be there. Um, and then they usually come back to clinics depending on how everything's going again, totally depends on the woman and the baby situation. Um, and then the last visit is around six weeks postpartum. So they go back to their family doctor around eight weeks, which is when the first set of vaccinations. Are. And at the six weeks postpartum visit, do you do a vaginal check of your patients or clients? So pelvic floor physio, there we go. <laughs> so, um, let me talk a bit. So I often recommend doing a pelvic floor assessment and just making sure there's that, that everything is healed. Um, certainly some women choose to decline that and that's totally fine. Sometimes people need a pap. Now I, I, you know, to be fair, I do recommend public floor physiotherapy to pretty much everybody because that is the, the recommendation. And I'm not a public floor physiotherapist. So I'm good at being like, this seems not. <laughs> no. We've had certainly some training and I've certainly done some workshops, but I am not going to be like this muscle do this thing. I'm like, you definitely need to go to see a public floor physio versus like every woman should versus no, no, you need to book this. Like you should. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. But, um, so that's usually what we do. Um, but again, like some women just, they're like, you know what? I had my baby. There's been lots of looking at my vagina. I feel like mm-hmm. in my vulva, I feel like I I'm okay. Everything is good. So it's, it's a conversation again, not, not, a, there's nothing. There's no yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I usually recommend it if people feel comfortable with that. 
And honestly, like, obviously I don't see everyone that you see, but a lot of people do. Like most women I find love coming in at six weeks or eight weeks or whatever postpartum because they just want to make sure everything's okay. And if they are having issues, talk it out. And if they're not prevent them from happening and just kind of just feel like, you know, that they've been thoroughly checked and they know that they're all good. Yeah. And it's, it's shocking, you know, like as healthcare providers, like, you know, as I said, like a lot of the time, well, first of all, we know women's health is, you know, um, we're getting better. Um, but they may not have had a chance to talk to their family physician about their pelvic floor or about, um, pain during intercourse or a whole bunch of things because it's just never come up and, and they're there for other reasons. And, um, so it is a really good time to check in about that. And there's lots of women I've had who said, oh yeah, you know, it's painful during intercourse every time. And I'm like, that's not normal. And they're like, it's not. I'm like, no, that's absolutely not normal. So it is really good just to check in about all this stuff and to, you know, let women know, like, what is their public health going to feel like in the postpartum? Um, You know, like, you know, a lot of women don't know that with breastfeeding, sometimes their natural lubrication just goes down and that's, they might have to use a lubricant that they haven't had to do that before. And that's actually really normal. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, so it is really nice because we've had this relationship. It's not awkward to talk about subjects that, you know, might be a bit strange as someone that you just, you know, you don't know as well, or people feel less comfortable in general talking about, um, so that, that's always a, a bonus yeah. as well. Oh, I love it. And I love the, I do love that you guys recommend very regularly pelvic floor physio because it's so, it's so important. Obviously I'm biased, I guess, but <laughs> it's so important. And the nice, the nice thing is the guidelines are catching up, right? They're basically they are. all women should be seeing, you know, a pelvic yeah. floor. So they are, which is amazing. Okay. So I have two more questions for okay. you. Yep. Okay. For my second last, my penultimate question, it's pretty okay. simple. Okay. I just want to know, are there any resources that you always recommend to your clients? So whether it's a certain class or a certain book or website, um, who is considering either getting a midwife or just who's expecting their first, second or third child, and they just need some details. Yeah. So that's a good question. So, um, as always, this is not at all. I, I do <laughs> think that birth classes are really good. So I know they're kind of falling out of favor and it's really hard with COVID and that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go on our website, so under the resources section, especially there's one that's pregnancy and uh, birth, there's a list of all the community classes that are available. So if, even if you're not planning on getting a midwife, if you're, but you live in Kingston, then for sure, go check out all our resources, go check out those classes that we have posted. We're not affiliated in any way, um, but there's some good local ones. And I do think that's really helpful, even just like knowing like what to think about. And although we have longer appointments, like it's still only half an hour. We still have to like talk about clinical stuff and check on the baby and check the blood pressure and do a whole bunch of tests and talk about the tests. So we really don't have time to do like a, a birth, everything. A birth yeah. class. Um, and you know, there's lots of different types of them. Public health offers them. There's lots of them. So that's one thing is just consider doing that. Um, and there's some great online ones as well that aren't local, but there, there are some really good ones out there that we've listed a few. Um, and then, you know, like it all depends on, you know, there's lots of great books. There's books that are really great geared towards kind of research oriented people. So like Emily Oyster has some really good ones that are like, just go through all, literally all of the lit review and evidence and all that. And some people's brain works really, really well with that. And some people's Mine brain totally does. Really <laughs> uh, and then there's other books on like, you know, Ina Mae Gatskin who wrote these like spiritual that focus on lots of different things that are like all about unmedicated hypnobirthing. And that's great too. Like, mm-hmm. so, so I think, you know, then there's the birth partner, which is one of the classic um, books that support people read. So, so I'm not trying to brand any of these. There's lots of books out there. Don't, don't take these as like, but you know, I think that the great thing with these, there's lots of good recommendations. Um, 
Yeah. And so, like you said, it depends on the person, right? So some people yeah. will relate or understand something very differently than another person might. Of course. And if in terms of midwifery, like if people are just like want to know a bit more, like what's the deal with midwives? The Association of Ontario Midwives has some really good resources. There's lots of great videos about like what is a midwife, like what do we do? How does it work? Um, so certainly there's lots of lots of resources there. Awesome. Okay, so for my last question, I always ask people, okay, if they were to give the listeners, our listeners, kind of three pieces of either homework or advice or tips or kind of three main points. Okay. that you would leave our listeners with who are considering maybe working with a midwife, what would you say? Okay. So I wrote these down cause I was like, Oh no. All right. <laughs> so number one, uh, go check out the resources from the association of Ontario midwives. So that's the first thing so that you can like, like truly, you know, if you're interested more with, with, uh, what, what midwives are. Number two, if you think you might want to midwife, apply as soon as you pee on a stick, because <laughs> the reality is, you can come into midwifery care, decide it's not for you, you're not vibing, and go with an OB. That is totally fine. You can leave midwifery care. You will not be able to get in the other way around mm -hmm. um, because of our wait list. So I always say, if you think that this might be the appropriate care for you, just apply. You can always choose not to do it. That's totally yeah. fine. Um, hopefully not, but like, but you know, but you can definitely leave. So, so that's, um, and then, uh, as soon as you've done that, apply for a daycare spot because those, oh. okay, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I didn't know that. And I really, apparently you have to apply really early, but that's an aside. Um, and then I guess the third thing is like, know that regardless of your care provider, um, it's your body, it's your pregnancy, and you get to do whatever decision um, feels right for you. And only you know the best choices um, for you. Um, and yeah, that's the most important thing that, that you're going to get good care wherever you go. And that really just trust yourself and that you are the primary decision maker of this awesome, crazy, insane process that is, you know, pregnancy, birth and postpartum and postpartum, which is also nuts, um, but awesome, but crazy. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot happening, right? <laughs> it is a true it's transition. The fourth for a reason. <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast. Honestly, that's like a whole other hour. It really, oh, more than an hour, I think. <laughs> Oh, I love those tips. And I think they're so important. And I think our listeners are going to take a lot away from that. And I, I just love how you empower women and you empower your patients and your clients just to, yeah, take an active approach and, and not be fearful of bringing up what they want to do or their thoughts or their opinions or their questions that they might think are silly or right. Any of these things. Write them on your phone. That's another good tip is people always forget. So write your questions on your phone before you come in. But it really is like a, a mutual trust, right? I have to trust yep. the clients that they'll bring up anything that they're concerned and they have to trust me. And that's, that's the way it works. It has to be that's the best way. working relationship, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Alyssa, for coming on the show. I know I learned a lot and I think all of our listeners will too. And we really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Really my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay.